Hi, this is Cam Smith, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. Press this button and starts the afternoon. Just like that. Just as simple as that. It's just like this conduit to the world. It's quite an amazing thing, really. We've got this desk. Yep. In a soundproof room. In a soundproof room with these sticks that we talk into. And Matt pushes this button and it facilitates great things. We're just sitting here quietly by ourselves in East Brunswick. Uh-huh. Yeah. How yeah. you doing? It's a nice contemplative start to the show. We just sort of start nice and it's a gentle start mm. to the afternoon here at 3 Triple RFM on a bit of a grey old Sunday. It's been a wacky couple of days, hasn't it? I was saying to you, it reminded me of that storm. How's the weather? Whack. Wow. It, um, that storm maybe a few years ago where a lot of people sort of had oh. got sick and had issues breathing and it reminded me a little bit of that. It's really has been very unsettled. I, in my limited time here on this planet i've got mm. to understand some things really yeah less the more i sort of grow older so i sort of realize mm. there's still a lot of i don't get that i don't understand how that correlated the mm. lightning and ozone and I, I, death i, I kind of because i felt a bit like that on friday morning because mm. i was riding my push bike to work as i do yeah. and there was just so much grit and rubbish in the air just because of the unsettled nature of the weather and then the wind was pushing it up and through. And I got so to a point to where I, I was having a bit of trouble breathing. I'm like, oh, really? Yeah. Well, Not as bad as what the poor folks felt a few years ago. But um, It's like to paraphrase cold chisel, the plane trees can fell a weary rider. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and... No, stop it. <clears throat> We're being, we're being chilled out. So, so hopefully you survived. Hopefully you're inside, dear listener, and hopefully yes. your washing is also inside. Otherwise, it might have launched itself over Port <laughs> Phillip Bay in the last couple of days. <laughs> Where is it? Oh, Black Rock. <laughs> my sheets are Black <laughs> Rock. <laughs> my fitted sheet is in Black Rock. Yeah. Um, well, look, we've got um, we've got a good show. We do. We've got some good stuff. We do. We really do. Uh, well, Dan Hunter is... Um, uh, either standing or sitting or just chilling out because it's Sunday for him. I wonder if he's regretting saying yes to talking yeah, to he's us. He's going, on, oh, God. It's all, it's all a good idea until you have to oh, do. Until you're waiting. So, Dan, we'll make it as easy for you as possible, mate. Just hang in there. Dan, of course, is the uh, chef and owner of Bray Restaurant, which was recently named Australia's Best. Restaurant, Restaurant of, of the, the year, year actually was the correct way. Uh, from uh, the Good Food Guide 2020. Yes. With clear vision. Mm. Yeah. Uh, looking there. 2020, wow. Um, so, yeah, we're going to have a chat to Dan, yep. um, which will be great. And we'll be talking to him about uh, what sort of wheat are you growing? Because he grows his own wheat. And mm. we'll be, no, we're going to talk a little bit about the garden, um, about the – is it a new responsibility now that you – you know, no pressure, mm. Restaurant of the Year – yeah. Um, how do you how do you deal with that? You know, it, it's sort of like it's it's tough enough, I reckon, dealing at that level every day. Yep. Every day. Anyway, how do you do that? Mm. Um, and anyway, we're just going to have a a little bit of a Sunday chat and not take too much of his time. We hope mm. beer is good. Yeah, I quite like beer. <laughs> oh, don't. Do you like beer? <laughs> sound like a Supreme Court judge. <laughs> go the go the Kavanaugh. <laughs> do you like beer? Do you like beer? I like beer. It's 
not quite so confrontational. We kind of like beer. Yeah. You know, it's, a, it's a more chilled out thing. Yeah. Um, yes, no frat room parties here. It's more about mm. uh, the enjoyment of beer and food and, mm. and history. And, uh, and we thought we'd get Scott McKinnon in because mm. we talked to him about his, well, his place that had just moved, I think, to Morty Alec, wasn't it, Scott? As you're driving in, um, Wolf in the Willows, Wolf of the Willows mm. Brewery. He makes good beer, but he's also a bit of a ge- beer geek. Oh, and really? He wants to get his geek on, so we're going to talk about the origins of a couple types of beer. Mm. That um, and it's sort of we won't give too much away, but uh, maybe the poor brother of stout. Yeah, the yeah. beer that, that sits between a pale ale and a mm. stout on the spectrum. Yeah, don't give it. Don't give no, it away. I we'll just think we'll, about we'll, that. There you go. There's a, there's a bit of ponderosity. Beers are everywhere. Geez, the, the rise of microbreweries in mm. the last 10 to 15 years. Almost equals the rise of gin. Yes. Not quite as much, man. And it seems to be um, the modus operandi for a brewery out in the burbs is you, you find an industrial space, yeah. stick a brewery in there, and yeah. then stick a pizza oven in there yeah. and open it up on the weekends. Yeah. And build it and they will come. Beer of dreams. Yes, the beer of dreams. Beer of dreams. <laughs> uh, sounds good to me. Yeah. I mean, it's I'm, not I'm to in, like. You know, you put a Scrabble board on and mm-hmm. some comfy cha- chairs. Get rid of the beanbags. It's probably a little bit much, you know. You can make it a little bit nicer than that. But that's the model that's been sort of followed since uh, since the uh, the Goat Boys. Yeah, I'd say they were the trailblazers there. And they're still mm. there in Richmond in the back of Mountain Goat. Mm. Um, still doing what they've been doing for a good number of years. Yeah. But um, when with all this sort of frivolity and just sort of observation, we do look at something, and you wanted to bring some something about. Uh, it's been in the, the news. Perry Group. The news again this week. Um, again, is another the series. elephant in the room. Yeah, well, it's increasingly so. That elephant's getting bigger it's and getting bigger. Very isn't big. It? It's almost taking up the room. So we're talking, of course, about the issue of uh, what's been called underpayment in the industry. How about we call it wage theft? Wage theft is another good way of putting it. That's sort of more nail your colours to the mast, I suppose. And so the Rockpool Dining Group this week, it's been accused again of underpayment. I actually read they only they paid back $1.5 million last year mm. um, in, in response to accusations around underpayment. However, this the new accusations are... Sort of saying it's like ten million bucks. Well, they're a little bit more. They're, look, it's all pretty disturbing, and it is. And we've pretty much we haven't really wanted to get too involved in it, have we? In the past, no. And I'm, I'm neither of us sort of work in the industry, so I'm not sort of sure how commonplace it is. But however, it would appear this is the thing, and this is what we were talking about. I wanted you to take the ball and run with it, mm. Matt. But the fact that it seems to be systematic when you have software that seems to be blocking overtime. Yeah, and that's... That's one of the allegations, is it not? It is, and probably yeah. one of the most... This is the, the the worst thing, I think, about the most recent allegation this week is, to your point, it, it seems like this is just systemic. Systematic and predetermined. Yes. It um, would appear. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. So I was just doing a bit of reading. So Rockpool Dining Group, which you may not know is actually sort of 80, 80 plus venues. That astounded me. When you when you actually said that 
Mm. Like I, I'm, I was aware of a couple of those. There's a few that I wasn't aware of. Like what was the one where it's Oktoberfest every day? <laughs> yeah, they're, they're like Munich Brow House or wow. They've got a lot Has of, Melbourne missed out on that, man? I don't know. Okay, anyway, sorry, I'm being. But they've, they've got a lot of sort of chain restaurants, and they've got some obviously their premium dining restaurants that you're probably aware of. So Rock Grill and Sake, the Japanese restaurants. Some might might have been to Spice Temple. Some place actually Spice Temple I've never been to. Spice Temple was really good. Yeah. Okay. Um, Bring money. So you would think if if any hospitality group should have their house in order you would think it'd be a big one like this so mm. if they don't that's potentially very bad news for them. also i read just on the in the news they wrote a 40 million dollar profit last year which is probably if, if the allegations are proven mm. to be true is a very bad look isn't it because yep. they're earning because there's room to absorb it literally millions of dollars off um what what is accused of being systemic underpayment? It's it's a very very bad look, and I'm sure will play out um, through Fair Work Australia. And what you're talking about, there was one guy who looks like he, I think it's about a couple hundred grand that he's owed, and yeah. he was the one who's been sleeping on the well, yeah. on the, on a pastry shelf between so, shifts because he had he was on split shifts, or and he was working from there was one was I don't know whether it's one or many from four in the morning. Yep. Until midnight. That night is Which, what he's claiming, and, yeah. And let me just sort of point the finger through the microphone. Would you like to work that? How do you feel about that? Just let that... Not good. Not so good. No. So it continues to be um, a problem for the industry. And I think the, the issue for the industry is it's so common that this is just sort of considered almost normal is my perception. So something's got to change in, yeah. in the industry. We've, we've either got to... We've either got to pay more for food mm. or we've got to expect, I guess, less involved food. Well, that was one thing Eldred uh, – Tony Eldred comes on from Eldred Hospitality mm. um, and he sort of, you know, looks over the, the the whole industry. And he's said that, you know, sometimes the restaurants do menus that are too ambitious and too labour-intensive. Mm. But then, here we go, just before we move on and <laughs> happy, happy thoughts <laughs> and start talking to, to Dan – it's the funny thing that, you know, the finger is being pointed at the hospitality industry, rightfully so, because we have seen this happen. And mm. yet, I would say, and I'm not alone, in that this is underpayment isn't just in the hospitality industry. No. And we can actually point a finger at the media industry mm. for underpaying. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, interns that go there that, you know, are expected to work crazy crazy hours yep because one of the key claims prior to the Rockpool one was i think that a lot of it was around salaried workers doing more hours than they were contracted to do so if you weren't a salary you might get 60 grand a year which is great but we've got you but we're going to work you 10 we've, days straight your ass is ours yeah is sorry but that's 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 pretty much the thing and then and to your point i agree that's not just the hospitality industry doing that what about the legal industry yeah you know the legal industry is full of people that you know work 18 hour days mm. um you know just slave labor until with the with the you know maybe the vain hope of become being made a partner mm. Um, so, yeah, the hospitality is um, maybe the public face of this. Yes. And things, some things really need to change because if you go to work, you should be paid accordingly. I mean, yeah. that's sort of what it all boils down to. It's a to, pretty basic it? transaction. <laughs> yeah. So, it'll be interesting to see how that 
plays out across industries because ultimately this is going to need something's going to need to change because we can't continue underpaying mm. workers. Um, in the case of Rockpool Dining Group, of course, one thing they could just write less profit. That's yeah. one option. But for other groups, it's going to be interesting to see how this is reckoned with. And it's be interesting to see if Neil Perry himself responds to this because it's his ponytail on the line well he's the <laughs> sorry he, he's the figure obviously we should say there's no allegation at all that he no, himself has been personally involved and yet anyway uh 12 14 here on three triple r fm uh we've got a little bit of rent oh there's some giveaways coming up too so um get yeah. your subscriber cards ready for the hour not right now no no dick back off <laughs> um <laughs> look happy sunday happy thoughts uh, we'll be back. We're going to be going down the beautiful West Coast mm. to Birigawa mm. after this. Choice 16 here on 3 Triple RFM. Thanks for joining us. How's your Sunday going? We know someone's Sunday is going pretty well, even though we have impinged on <laughs> his time. Uh, Dan Hunter, very, very good afternoon to you. It was going good. Dan Smith, how are you, mate? How are uh, things? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How are your dams looking? Uh, they're bloody great, actually, this year. <laughs> I think it's... Um, bloody awesome. I think, last, I think last time we spoke, I was, I was staring down at a, a, a sort of a... You were carting. A, des- a desert of sorts, but we've had, yeah. um, we've had, a, we've had a very... What's that? I'd say a wet winter, like above average rainfall over winter, and um, oh. we're looking very... Very prosperous at the moment, I must say. Well, look, it, it's great to speak to you. And um, Matt, who is the consummate professional and producer, has said... Could you please tell people who on earth are you speaking to? We welcome to the microphones Dan Hunter, the chef and proprietor of Bray at Birigawa. He's taking it easy and he's chatting to us and this is a good thing. Excellent. Thanks hey. for having me once again. Oh, thanks for having you. No, it's great. Thank you for um, for being on. I want to talk a little bit about what's in the ground, um, but uh, before we do, we have to acknowledge and say... Wow, well done, out of uh, all of the Australian restaurants. Yeah, out of I guess that's what, you, that's what you're getting at. That's good. I yeah, mean, um, yeah. you're, you're, yeah. The, you're the one. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a nice, nice end to a, what seemed like a deep, long year for a while there, but it's been, mm. it's, I mean, we've arrived at this point of the year and we're sort of a bit beside ourselves, to be honest. It's been um, it's been really, really great response from you know, like critics and the general public and the restaurant's busy and it's raining and we're all bloody happy about it. So, you know, it's, um, so, you know, hey, take, take what you can get. I, I always say, my, my standard response is take what you can get in this sort of game and um, we certainly feel very, very privileged and very happy and very sort of humble, you know, in in the result of this year. So, yeah. Dare we, dare we say you're just resting in a bloody great place but you don't rest and, and maybe... You know, with that sort of stuff, how does it actually feel? I mean, um, someone actually said to me, there's a few restaurateurs that said, you know, oh, God, going from one hat to two hats is a real drag because you have to think about, oh, my God, we need to get new glassware. Um, There's We need new tablecloths. There's a whole different expectation of the people that come in. Have you felt any of that as being a bit of a – how how did it make you feel? Well, I mean, we we always set out to be as good as we could be, you know. And mm. so we've always we've we've look again going back. We're six years in December, and, wow. and the very first 
food guy, we appeared in, we were three hats, and, and we have always intended to be at that level. And I don't really get out of bed in the morning and go to work and ramp up to do anything less than that. So I think there's got to be... There's, hmm. I understand that sort of issue that some people might have where they're not expecting it, maybe, or they're just very... Um, you know, they want to do something at a at a at a lesser level in a terms in terms of their commitment to it. Um, yep. In a sense, but so um, we've always we've always head out to do something with a high commitment, and and luckily people enjoy it. So it's that whole maybe that cliche about greatness being thrust upon you. It's like, no, dude, we wanted this greatness, and we've been working towards it, and we've arrived. <laughs> I mean, we work. We definitely work hard, and there's a group of us that work very hard at the restaurant. And I guess um, you know, I think we need. You know, uh, we need we need the we need the special places. We need the top restaurants. We need those who push and change and and direct the industry, so to speak. And hopefully, we're included amongst that group of people. Um, we're certainly not the only ones. There's, there's lots of lots of individuals and lots of restaurants out there that do really exciting and and very generous things for their guests and for the community. Yep. Um, but I think um, you know, I think hopefully, uh, yeah, that people put us in that bracket, and we we intend to be in that bracket. There's um, there's a lot of people that want to go and and uh, experience what is uh, is there at Bray, and and I've got to say I'm one of the lucky ones, and I thank you for that. And Matt's yep. been there on a couple of times, and he's uh, said to me many times before I was able to go there was that this is the best food in Australia. He's nodding That's his, very nice his, his well, head. Isn't it? Yeah, he but, drinks a lot when he comes. He, he leaves. He he leaves. <laughs> He's, some, Maybe a bit, he's sometimes a bit under clear. medication too, but we don't, we don't like to speak of that too much. But hey, Dan, maybe just to give people an idea, because I'm, you know, there's, uh, I'm, I'm probably in the minority of people that have been lucky enough to be able to experience what you do. Could you yep. maybe just give an idea of for people what is Bray all about and what sort of things would they experience if they are lucky enough to come to you? At the core, it's a restaurant. It's a small restaurant. Um, mm. It's only a, it's you know in the scheme of in the scheme of the sort of corporate restaurant climate with of groups owning you know hundreds of places and hundreds of seats per night to eat at. We're a mm. we're a, a forty seat restaurant, and we usually max out at about thirty five guests per service. Yep. Um, so that's the basis of what we do. Um, but having said that, we're also uh, a small farm. We we grow a lot of food. Um, we're a, we're a very small farm in terms of agricultural sense. We're a very large farm for a restaurant. Yes. Um, mm, so true. it's a twenty three acre property, um, and those twenty three acres uh, are taken care of. Twenty um, three. Team. Yeah, twenty three. That I mean, is big. Yeah, that is really big. When you when you've got to have your own car park and you've got a garden shed and you know you collect rainwater, so you have got water tanks and things like that. That sort of takes up a bit of space. Mm. Um, but having said that, I mean, currently there's about two hundred and eighty fruit trees on the property now. There's uh, one hundred and twenty olive trees. Um, we've got a ten acre block which we dedicate in the last few years to to cropping, to growing of grain and wheat. Um, and then we have, you know, dams to supply water for those projects and then large vegetable garden. Um, you know, I think sometimes it's hard for people who don't live in a rural environment to understand <coughs> sort of size or acres mean and things like that. So we just sort of occasionally just step it out, you know, and there's about, um, I don't know, there'd be close to probably half a kilometre of, of garden beds, um, if you just walk out, you know, metre yeah. by metre. Um, so, you know, it's uh, quite a quite a project um, for a small sort of small restaurant. 
Um, and then we we're we're an hour and three quarter from the city. We're just under 150 k's from Melbourne, in the Otway hinterland. So a very um, established agricultural region. So it's sort um, of up the, up the hill from Lawn is sort of a, yeah, a good way to sort of hill, look at it. Up the hill and across. So yeah. you know, about 25 minutes from Lawn. Um, Straight inland and via Dean's Marsh. Um, we're about 45, 50 minutes from the Pilot Bay down the other road. So it's sort of positioned really nicely at the edge of a little bit of coastal weather, weather just before the, I guess, the climate dries out a bit more there. And the land's quite undulating and it lends itself to small scale agriculture, which is nice. And if you're and lucky enough. By, sorry, I was going to say, if you're lucky enough to be sitting at a place, then you would get about. Ten courses, am I right? Is, is it ten? Yeah, I Around mean, we, we sort of, yeah, I mean, it's a tricky thing. I guess the menu varies uh, day to day, and, and it's not always the same thing that we serve people. And, and even in the same service, we don't serve the same menu to yes. to every guest. And that sort of is based on, you know, of course, there's the likes and dislikes, the, the, the dietary considerations that restaurateurs go through every day today, but there's Dietaries. also... Um, Yes. Also, the um, the situation where we only have X amount of product for, uh, for the day, and then sometimes we we use you know a particular ingredient on one table and a, another one on another table. Um, and, but you know, courses are are hard to define these days too, because I mean, uh, you know, a one bite that you pick up with your hand and, and <laughs> it's gone in a second could be a course, and a plate of food in front of you that requires a knife and a fork and glass and a half of wine is also a course. And there's a mix of all of those things through the through the menu. But essentially, we would present. A diner, about fifteen or sixteen different types of foods, mm. um, or different plates, so to speak, in a usual menu. That and most guests are spending sort of three and a half to four and a half to six hours sometimes, you know, <laughs> hanging out and getting bottles and walking around and taking their time. And and, and so they should, and we we certainly encourage that. And going, this could be one of the best days of my life. And also, it has to be said that um, the great th- one of the great <laughs> things is my observation is that. You have a front of house staff that are in no way intimidatory, if I can get that word out. That was um, very well pronounced. Oh, but not really. It's <laughs> <laughs> sort of dribbling out. Um, but but that's the thing. They they are your friends, and it seems that uh, yeah, a big as well as what comes out from the kitchen is on the plate. Another thing that is amazing about yeah, the I mean, experience. Look, I think Australia's a. Australia is what it is, you know. I think we we can all, particularly those of us who probably listen to Triple R and spend time north of the river, and you know whatever, mm-hmm. yes. we can we can we can agree on we can sort of agree on sort of our social norms and standards and what we what we enjoy as as Australians and what we what we maybe don't particularly like. And I think um, one thing that's occurred in the past, and maybe it's a bit of an old world sort of leftover, is that apparently that um, effort spent uh, working on food. Um, should mean that your staff are a certain, you know, acting a certain way to your staff. And I don't think that uh, a dining room needs to be stuffy or it needs to be um, inapproachable and it should be egalitarian and it should be for all people at all levels, you know. So, of course, I mean, having said that, our our restaurant experience comes at a cost and I think when you're there you'll see uh, where, the, you know, the, the cost that we also endure with the detail and the staffing and those things. Um, but, you know, it shouldn't be about you shouldn't be here and we know more than you. You know, it should be no. about, hey, we're all here together. And, and check this out. And, and you, time, you're going to love this. Yes. Um, so we don't, we don't see it as us and you. We just see it as us and we've got a different role in the game that day. You know? 
Yeah, well, it uh, it certainly noticed, and uh, I thought I'd just mention that. But um, when I was there, you did uh, point out the paddock where the wheat had been uh, harvested from. Yeah. Have you got another crop in at the moment? It'd probably be. We have actually this you year, and I mean, look, last year um, we. It's a funny thing, like you know, you grow a bit of food and you chuck the easy things in first. You just throw in some radishes, or you grow a tomato plant at home, and you know, you, it, it all grows, and you, yeah. you sort of pat yourself on the back and you enjoy the concept of eating your own food. And I guess, in a sense, that's what we do at the restaurant. But we've tried to expand that uh, into a bit more detail, and and hopefully a little bit more. Um, understanding and, and also a bit of professionalism. And last year we grew a, a very successful, what I thought was a very successful wheat crop, um, without any super expectation that it would grow that well. Um, it was sort of the first, the first crack at it, and it did really well. And was sort of, you know, obviously very pleasing to harvest, you know, six and a half ton of your own grain after a, after a season, and, and basically have enough have enough wheat for the whole year plus some. Wow. Um, and then this year, we've probably pushed it up a notch and tried to find things that have really great flavour and probably a little bit more, temp- you know, a bit more difficult to grow, a bit more temperamental in the ground. And How, um, how many different three, varieties, Dan? Well, three this year. Three. Um, two two bred wheats, one, yeah. one sort of a, a modern white wheat um, called Kitty Hawk, and that's... Um, Really great wheat for bread, and a an older red variety called uh, Zanzibar Red, a French red variety, which is Zanzibar very red. very delicious. Well, but, I like the sound uh, of it. Appears to be hard to grow. Well, in, in what way that it's uh, yeah. it, it, how is it temperamental? I think you know when you get involved into the sort of entry level agriculture that you know it is very up and down, and and we don't have seasons in Australia that we can rely on every single year, and yeah. we've had. Much greater rainfall. The paddock was very wet. Very wet feed on the plants, and, and areas of the block that we grow on are, are really struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't, you know, we're 100 percent organic, and we don't just, you know, dump fertilizer just to help it along. We we try and do it in a in a more, you know, a more ethical and environmentally sound way, and it takes a bit more effort in terms of composting and liquid sort of fertilisers in terms of natural fertilisers or seaweed fertilisers. Do you, um, pr- uh, do you uh, use any of the biodynamic techniques at all? Like, uh, do, and do you plant, uh, do, you, do you use the moon, Look, the waxing and waning? We haven't, we haven't, we haven't to date. Um, uh, it's certainly been a consideration and I think there's been some discussion with myself and our head gardener uh, about moving into that initially in the vegetable garden starting mm. next year. I think it's got a lot of value and a lot of credibility. Me Obviously, too. there's those who say it wouldn't. Um, I think it's more than proved itself to be fantastic in terms of reliability, flavour and health. And validity. Um, I think it's valid. You know, yeah, so I'm, I'm certainly... Uh, we're certainly moving in that direction. Um, you know, I think... I think Initially, working organically and very strictly, you know, even mm-hmm. to the point where we, we use a flame torch in the car park to get rid of weeds and things like that. Well, we don't, we don't use any chemicals anywhere. Just seeing the health of the property um, working in that manner is fantastic. And I guess once you, uh, you know, it's like almost like organics is might be a bit of a gateway drug to, to biodynamics. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, like you, <laughs> you see, you see, you see the result. And and for me, like starting to taste. The vegetables yeah. starting about autumn this year, seeing things in a spot that has been cultivated now seriously organically and, and fed organically for the last 
sort of four to five years, mm-hmm. um, and just noticing like early early autumn this year, noticing flavors in like radicchios and and chicories and bitter sort of plants, and and just thinking, shit, how's the flavor in this stuff? You know, like, yeah. and really and crediting that flavor to the agricultural practice, not the seed. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, seeds are great. Classic yep. example with the wheat we grew. I was making bread from that wheat. Uh, it was amazing flavour. I got the wheat from a, I got the grain from an organic grower uh, in sort of you know, near Dalesford and um, yep. put it in. Made the first lot of bread out of it when we harvested, and it was it was shit house to be honest. Like I, I just <laughs> couldn't make bread out of it, and I was thinking, oh, you know, uh oh, that was a waste of <laughs> waste of nine months and, yeah. <laughs> and ten acres, and. Um, <laughs> Eventually worked out how to get the the, the ratio right, the, you know, the fermentation, the water, and the temperature, and oh, yeah. got it going, and, and it's great. But um, just the flavour difference between our paddock and that paddock, which was a biodynamic paddock and has been probably farmed organically and biodynamically for a long period of time, yes. uh, just resulted in a very, very different grain. And what it, what you realise is that seeds are fantastic. It's great to jump up and down about seeds, but eventually mm. it just comes down to soil. You know, and it comes down to the health of the soil. And true flavouring vegetables comes from uh, quality soil and quality farming. So yeah, seeds are nothing yeah, I mean, if the medium's not right. For us. That's exactly right, and that's that's where that's where our interest really lies. I think in the in the growing side of things, it's not about having the most obscure variety of some vegetable that no one's heard of, and they eat once and they never remember it. It's about <laughs> having, you know, really. Yeah. Almost basic vegetables no, um, tasting um, like they've never tasted, you know. Yeah, no, I'm laughing because I remember those things. Were they? I think they were called babacos. They were these sort of horny melon things that sort of tasted <laughs> vaguely like cucumber, but they were about 90% water. And it was like, yeah, it's yeah. amazing, but it's shit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. And, and that's, that's often, you know, unfortunately... There's got to be a general understanding the correlation between great flavour is, of course, you know, we go to restaurants to, to experience cooking, and that's definitely mm. why you go. Um, you know, but I guess the base ingredients that people start with need to be considered as well. And, I mean, you, know, you just have to look at an organic juicing carrot, like the one you can't sell because it's not the right size, mm. and those ridiculous sort of straight 30 centimetre things you see in the supermarkets. And one's full of flavour and, you know, just, you know, heaps of carotene and yeah. and, delicious. The and one's just, just water and woody and shit house, you know. So. Yeah, and it'd been coloured um, with an orange crayon. All right, uh, before we, we let you go, because we will uh, bring you back to your Sunday off, um, imagine that I am your fairy godfather and I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm wearing a tulle skirt and I've got a little magic wand. And I've got Blundstone boots, so no, no, Redback boots because they're more comfortable. Um, and I can uh, give you a wish that uh, just you can take the next couple of days off and you can go to any of your restaurants you want to in Melbourne and Australia just to chill out. Where do you want to go to eat? Who are the wow. big, big call? I mean, look, I think um, both Melbourne and Sydney are uh, obviously excellent places to eat and drink and have hangovers and recover and go out again um mm. my yeah i mean in melbourne like i think you know i really like drinks that maybe i don't know bar americana or romeo lane oh. even, you know black pearl if i'm in fitzroy yes and uh you know a, a quick 
maybe another bottle after that. I'd probably take that at Embler or something like that, you know, to just yeah. get the night going. Yeah. And I'd eat a cheetah every week if I could. You know, if I was in Melbourne, <laughs> I think it's um, yes. it's bloody brilliant, you know. Um, and really, I guess, you know, in, in that Italian sense, I mean, anything that the Glossy family do is also very good. Um, uh, maybe... In Sydney? I don't know, the next morning. Oh, next morning. Brekkie, Where are you or going? Lean for brekkie or loaf of bread or something for a bit of, bit of carbohydrate. If I had out of town, uh, I'd definitely take him to Loon for just check this out. Yeah. Check I this out. It's got, the, it's got uh, the wow factor, it's got the nerd factor, and it's also delicious, and it's <laughs> the best of the best. You know? <laughs> the wow factor and the nerd. Yeah, you're right, you're right. The two hemispheres. Um, Sydney, I mean, Sydney, I, I really enjoy going up to Sydney and a lot of, I guess, a lot of my sort of closer and friends and peers in the industry are in Sydney and I really like going to uh, both Esther and Polly for drinks and for, for food and Sixpenny, definitely try and get there mm. once a year. It's probably one of my favourite restaurants in Australia and certainly Puskas, Dan Puskas is probably one of my favourite chefs cooking in Australia and 10 William Street, definitely go there for good drinks and simple food that's a drink friendly and it's certainly a great, always a great vibe there. Um, um, uh, Matt's giving me the wind up, but I just want to get one more thing. Do you know Josh Nyland? Have you met him and, and yeah, eaten his food? Yeah, I know food? Josh well. Yeah, absolutely. Gee, he's a beauty. And have you got his, did you get his book? I haven't seen his book yet. No, I haven't. But um, Man, it's look, amazing. I think Josh is, Josh is one of those guys that's um, having an incredibly great pedigree. It's a classic example. A lot of chefs want to move around and around and around. Josh mm. didn't move that much. He just worked for a couple of people for a long time, mm. went through all the processes, has really focused on something, has found his thing which separates him from other people, and now just drilling right into that. And he's doing something very exciting for, for cooking and for not just Australian cooking, but certainly you know, on an international level. He's certainly widely known as, as a really great chef and a really interesting, game-changing person. So that's, I think he's really great. Well, I'll tell you what, that accolade that you've just thrown him, we could be equally uh, uh, delivered back to you, I think, Dan. Congratulations again. Thanks very much. Much appreciated. And thanks for taking the time to have a chat to us on a Sunday. Um, no worries. Enjoy the rest of the day. I'm not even going to ask you to just let you go. Dan, it's always a pleasure to chat. Look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you, Cam. There he is, Dan Hunter from Bray. Having yeah. a little bit of chat to see how, what makes him tick. Um, we need to keep moving. We do. We've got a couple of giveaways. Ooh. Next weekend, Cam. Yes. If you're like me, you might maybe just want to tune out of the annual... Flemington Festival of Suffering, and you might want to be trying to think of something else to do. <laughs> the okay, yes, the Flemington Festival of Suffering. One of my favourite wine regions in all of Australia is Heathcote. Uh, uh, and next Precambrian soils, you know, man. Yes, uh, rather good for sure. Yes. Whoa. Um, next weekend on Saturday, there's a, a big event called Vibes and Vino uh, at the main oval there in the middle of Heathcote. Um, enjoy nine of Heathcote's best wineries and breweries alongside performances from a whole pile of local musos. Food trucks, artists and crafts, lawn games. It's a family-friendly event. It's on from midday on Saturday. Mm. Um, and you can grab tickets from heathcote.org.au. Or wow. if you want to go uh, and you feel like a drive up to Heathcote, it's only a 90-minute drive Cheers. from Melbourne. Drop into four pillars. Uh, we got Yeah. We got a uh, double pass to give away. You must be a subscriber. Give us a ring, 93881027. Get on the phone. Get, Get on, on the, the phone. phone. Get on the phone. And while you do, uh, yes. we've just sort of selected something from the musical cart. For your yes. enjoyment.
Wow, sounds like a bit of soul disco from the 70s. Yeah. Almost looked like Dr. Pump coming in. He's he look pimped out today? He's in the house. I hope we're not spoiling any surprises by saying Dr. Pump is here. It's not. Joe not going. Ah, oh, don't, don't tell them. Don't but tell them. I'm going to do a surprise. Well, it's not really a surprise because we pre-announced it too. <laughs> that we have the head brewer, the proprietor, the recently moved to Mordialic guy, Scotty McKinnon. Good afternoon, Cam. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Good to see you. Did I come and snuggle into that microphone so we a get all? Better. Let's get all intimate with all everybody. Right, here we go. It's Sunday. And it's the afternoon. What are you doing? We're going to drink beer. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about um, the origins of beer. Um, for those that haven't heard of Scott before, we had the uh, the great pleasure of your company a few weeks ago. We did, thank you. And we talked roughly about craft beer and where you were and how you've moved and all that sort of stuff. Scratch but, the surface a little. Yeah, scratch <coughs> the surface. I thought we'd go a little bit deeper because... Um, I think when I first met you, which was at the Arbery mm-hmm. for matching food and beer, which new beers do so well, we got into – you started talking about the origins of a few beer, and I'm not going to spo- go to the punchline yet. Beer's been around for a while, hasn't it? It has. The uh, One of the oldest professions actually in the world. And this may be the second hangovers the humanity got after uh, after mead. Very true. We're just chucking a big uh, loaf of bread in a bucket and watching what happened. And, and there, there eventuated beer and Bruce. Where's that loaf gone? I'm experimenting, Barry. <laughs> yes. Uh, the old uh, nomadic creatures we were decided we uh, we needed booze in our lives, so we mm. started growing grains. I'm gonna settle down. Exactly. <laughs> because that was that was fertile crescent. Some say the the growing of barley was like nah, it wasn't for and agriculture is that people wanting to get off chops well there's uh there was a plethora of other food available in that lovely area of the world so yeah. uh, but there wasn't many things to ferment with so yeah. i like to go with the romantic story of grains being grown grains being grown i got into this simpsons vibe of <laughs> what it would have been like and just yes, and we grew and ur was good but um um, yeah, so so beer has been around uh, us for millennia, but there was a couple that you wanted to to pick out, and I was in a uh, message conversation that we have. I went, "Wow, that's cool! It's almost like the yin and yang of beer." <laughs> Where do you want to start? Do you want to start with the big masculine or the big feminine? Oh, uh, let's start with the the feminine. I think. Oh, okay, uh, big feminine. The, the, the big feminine. <laughs> no, not big feminine. Yeah. Feminine. Uh, I think, look, the reason I chose these two... Not that we want to get sexist with beer. Like, hey, just... Mm, Okay. Ironically... Sorry, Sorry, (laughs) Personalities and gender... Yes, personalities. Um, We... The reason I chose these two styles were, first and foremost, they both match extremely well with food, and I'm keeping it in line with, obviously, the theme of the show so culinary discourse exactly so oh. keep keep stay on target right uh, nice so uh saisons first of all being at the lighter end of the spectrum and so s-a-i s-o-n-s yes saisons Does that, that sounds vaguely french uh flemish actually so oh, half french exactly yeah. <laughs> so uh these beers came from the flemish region of europe originally part part of Belgium, part of northern France, mm. and the... It's a mixed-up, shook-up world up there, isn't it? It is, it is, and yeah. uh, very much has its own personality. Yeah. 
So I have to be very careful how I phrase this so that we're not stepping on any political toes here. But um, uh, it came from that geographic region and they were uh, prevalent at this time of year. So beers would be actually brewed in order to... Spring beer, yeah, okay. And in autumn. So these particular beers were brewed by farmers to attract the best seasonal workers. So they actually... Let that sink in. (laughs) (laughs) What's my motivation to work my ass off? Well, get the best beer. Yeah. Get the cleanest beers. Cleanest beers uh, and and no water poisoning. Exactly. Hey, no cholera. So touching upon the... uh, Beer is the alcohol of the people, yes. uh, designed for sustenance and, as you've rightly pointed out, to ensure that we didn't all get poisoned. Workers champagne, mate. Bingo. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. th- these, these beers would be uh, produced to attract the, the hardest workers and the people that would actually get the crops in the ground at this time of year, mm. in spring, and mm. then in autumn, come back and actually harvest them and... Uh, not sit on their asses all day. Got it. Well, we're going to hear a little more about this uh, saison after this. Big C. Um, we've got Scott McKinnon from uh, Wolf of the Willows, and we've just been talking about saison, and uh, he astounded by Matt and I saying that <laughs> what was the reason for doing it was to bring in the best workers, most alcoholic workers, maybe. The, no. The ancient version of the beer economy. The ancient version, yes. What does saison taste like? Well, for those that never had it, what, what's it sort of? What's it like? So it has a bit of tartness to it. Mm. It's, a, it's a light beer. Yep. But it also has probably the more generic way to say it is a little bit of funk to it, Ooh. which goes extremely well with most forms of seafood mm. and anything that is light on the palate. It's also quite highly carbonated generally, which is one of the great things about beer that it can actually work with, say, fatty foods, and the carbonation can strip the fat off the palate, oh, right. let the yeah. palate reset. And uh, if you think about the Flemish region within Europe, the old pommes frites, so French fries oh. and... Uh, Bloody mayonnaise. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Lots of fatty foods like that, but also lots of seafood as well, so like mussels. So mm. common dish would be saison, steamed mussels and pommes frites. And a bit of mayo on the side, of course. My mouth is... <laughs> is your mouth watering out there? Mine is, and I need a saison to go with it now. So um, that's something to think of um, in sort of the lighter, sort of ethereal style of mm-hmm. beer and, and sour. And personally for myself, <clears throat> once you start discovering these sour tastes and you get sort of used to it, they are utterly, utterly delicious, utterly sessional. And, and, and also not supremely alcoholic, would that be right? The saisons can be anywhere from sort of 3%, like a table beer, right nice. up to 8 or 9%, depending Ooh, on... Uh, exactly. Uh, <laughs> Sit in chair while drinking. <laughs> exactly. But yeah. the beauty of them is, as a style, they're, they're not what you'd call stereotypical beer flavours. Mm. So, and you do a saison? Uh, we do a seasonal saison. You got one at the moment? We don't, actually. Once okay. we open up the new brew pub, then yeah. we'll start producing it again. But you have got this thing, the agave sour beer at the moment, which you're doing. We we did. So this is uh, just a beer that we did with Tromba Tequila as a little collaboration for the lovely Gabs Festival. Good tequila. Lovely tequila. Mm. And uh, took some of their agave from Jalisco in Mexico, 
a few jalapenos and soured and fermented and the result is a pretty inter oh, I'm sorry char grilled pineapples as well pretty interesting flavor spectrum of sour smoke and uh Great food a little beer. bit of heat exactly Great food beer. oh my god um all right now let's go from uh, in the time that we have left um we've uh, gone from the yin and now we go to the yang and we talk about um well we were talking stout's poorer brother mm. oh you've just Insulted me there. No, I think. well, good. <laughs> Maybe it's just provocative. Stout's lesser-known brother, Matt. It was Matt. Matt said it. Yeah, I didn't say. <laughs> well, it's a classic example of never let a uh, good marketing campaign get in the way of the truth. But uh, yeah, go on. The so originally go on, get angry. Wow, well, Guinness was actually called a, a stout porter until the mid 1800s. Yeah. So, um, mm. The so porter is a darker style of beer, obviously. Uh, chocolatey, chocolatey, roasty, coffee, v very uh, in opposite end of the spectrum to the yeah. saison. So, oh, mouth filling and unctuous and, and 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 amazing, but it has a really interesting history and it involves manual labour. It does. So yet again, a, a beer of the people, a beer of the working class. When dark workers, champagne. We'll go with Whatever. that one. Yeah, yeah, we'll go. I'm just being stupid now. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Scott. That's all right. I'm trying to keep a straight face here, Cam. Uh, uh, so the uh, the good old porter was used by people who were porters in London, basically moving boxes from one place to another along the rivers or streets and uh, a pretty hearty, meaty beer. So well, I not only hearty, meaty people. Horny-handed <laughs> <laughs> sons of toil. They would have had to have been, I think, yes. to... Uh, move some of these boxes oh, around so uh just a beer that had a lot of uh sustenance to it hence like most people identify with guinness but so um, it, it's it's made to be quite a nutritious thing and it's sort of something that we don't actually think of that beer is full of calories well a lot of people know that calories minerals uh actually ironically probably one of the best drinks you can have after doing a lot of exercise because uh apart from the alcohol we won't mention that part but uh, mm. actually does have sit in uh, the chair exactly a lot <laughs> yes. of vitamins and minerals uh and a lot of salt in it as well so mm. quite good for you can be good for horses too here we go the old salt, salt lick salt lick yeah yeah <laughs> so but so the porters would um this was they were easily able to consume this and again it was in a time when the water was dangerous that was another big thing, wasn't it? So, yeah, the, the water would be septic. So, mm. obviously, a uh, great way to get some uh, liquid into your body, but a little bit of booze and a little bit of food as well. Ah, uh, Scott. Thanks, mate. Well, uh, thanks for coming in and, uh, and doing this. You might have to pick another couple and maybe come in and We'd love to. And Thank do you. It. And uh, Wolf of the Willows, available at all good bottle shops. Dan, have you got Wolf of the Willows in your place yet, mate? You still listening over there? <laughs> Anyway, we're, you should meet Scott. He's awesome. We'll go uh, down what and have some grain. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Matt, you've got some. We've got another giveaway. So uh, another alternative next weekend. Uh, what else should we do? The Diggers Club have got their St. Oh. Earth Spring Festival. And it's all next weekend, Saturday and Sunday mm. at the Garden of St. Earth in Blackwood, which I just looked out up, and that's sort of sort of halfway between Sunbury and Dalesford. It's out that way. Yeah, it's not stupidly far away. Yeah, it's all right. It so uh, the St. Earth Festival featuring gardening workshops, tours, local produce, kids' activities, rare plants, heirloom seeds, and more, plus special events with green-thumbed chef Paul West. 
So you can go to Diggers Club uh, if you are keen to have a look at that next week. Or you can give us a ring. We've got a double pass or a family pass to give away. So if you feel like jumping in the car next weekend and going out to Blackwood to have a look at that, give us a ring now, 93881027. We'll take your call after the show. 93881027. You must be a subscriber or yes. Matt will come down and... I will hurt you a lot. Oh, hurt. Yeah, okay. I know. Give you a big hurt. I'll, I'll make you run at Flemington. Woo! <laughs> With a whip. <laughs> and then... A prospect of no return afterwards. Yeah. Uh, give us a call, 93W1027. We're about to move on to Still Here. Um, all good. Thank you again, Scott. Thank you, Cam. Thank you, Dan, for having a chat to us if you're still listening. And uh, we will see you next week. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Cam. Bye. Thanks, Matt. Hi, this is Cam Smith, and you've been listening to the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. 